With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. All right. Tonight on One Mic, we talk about Tony Romo. He's heading to retirement and into the booth at CBS. And we got a special topic. The legends, uh, children of legends. What happens when you're a child of legend and you get basically punk in, in a public space? How does that legend react to it? What happens? What's this like? And so the, the folks from the underground are going to try to provide some parental advice in these situations. We've seen these things go up over the years and how hard it is to kind of get out uh, from under that the limelight of your legendary parent. Um, and we're going to talk about that tonight. And uh, as you know, it's baseball season, so we've got inside the park with Hank. It's going to be a great night here. One night on our one mic on RSG. This thing right here is for my people's in the streets. Yes, yes, today. Yes, yes, today. You know, as we start this show, this one mic. There is a pause throughout the stadium as this man sounds like he just coughed up a lung. They're looking around. The jumbotron shows and pans the cheerleaders, and as it goes down each cheerleader's face, each one breaks up into laughter, which at this particular time destroys half the stadium. The other half is still trying to figure out what the hell just happened. Does this guy need uh, CPR or something? And then at that particular time, I lost it. <laughs> Devon Trump. Yes, yes, yes. Today, Phoenix is another place. They got a great uh, training staff. I mean, they, they were able to breathe life back into Shaq. And if you can do that, then people talk a lot about their training staff. Yes, today, you know, as we start this show, this one mic. All right, all right, all right, all right. All right, welcome to One Mic on the RC platform. Uh, if you want to catch up to us, uh, we always encourage you to go to either realsportsguys.com or look for Real Sports Guys on all social media platforms. Uh, if you want to connect with me individually on uh, Twitter, you can get me at RSGDWills. Um, uh, and uh, I'm also a lot of times on all our other RSG uh, platforms. Uh, we'd love to connect with you. But please go to iTunes, subscribe, uh, review, give us a review, and we love to have those fives, um, you know, which we're slowly moving our way up the track, and we enjoy it. And thanks for all the feedback from everybody as we, uh, um, you know, have been on this journey with you. So, you know, we, I call it the movement for a reason. Uh, we just, we have, we add people to the family every day one by one. That's how we get down. 
but before we get into the proceeding, as my man Game Changer would say, you know, I, I, I can't start out without I'll take a shout-out to Game Changer and Phil T. Uh, please uh, check us out on our big show. Uh, check out that Hustle and Flow. I'm telling you, that's, that's one of them. That's one of those uh, underground uh, podcast classics uh, that people will talk about when they do, uh, uh, for years when we get a hold of it. It's a great thing on our platform. But uh, before I get going, you know I can't begin tonight without bringing my main man. You know, we kind of we kind of we run that screen and roll. Sometimes he'll flare to the corner, and uh, and uh, I'll, I'll I'll put pressure on defense. And sometimes I'm going to do it. We can, we're interchangeable like that. And so my guy, hey, what's up, man? Hey, man. You know what? It's another. Beautiful day in the neighborhood, you know, and we're getting to that time of the season. You all know what we're talking about coming up next weekend, D, you know, where we gather with our families, you know. We, 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 we all go and we fellowship together, family and friends, you know, and we come and we worship together and, you know, we, 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 we sing the same songs, you know, you know exactly what I'm talking about that's coming up, don't you? What you thought I was talking yeah. about Easter? No, I'm talking about the spring game, baby. The spring game is next Saturday. <laughs> Big Bluey, I can't wait. <laughs> oh, man. I, it, it was uh, last year at the spring game was a classic. And if, if you listen to our intro, uh, <laughs> it reflects on our spring game experience last year at, at, uh, at the Big House. Uh, we were in tears. Uh, it, it was one. Of, it was clearly one of the funniest moments I've ever experienced in sports at a sports event. Uh, uh, when uh, uh, a, a world-renowned uh, <laughs> opera singer sang the national anthem and got caught with that note, like somebody had tossed some popcorn in his mouth at the high point. We just cheerleaders fell out. Everybody fell out. You know, over the PA boy, that was hilarious. <laughs> so we, we were expecting. And uh, Harbaugh knows how to do a spring game. Uh, I know at yes. Wisconsin, actually, the spring game is going to be on a Friday. This Friday, I believe. This Friday, next Friday, the following Friday, the Friday night, because the opening game of the year is going to be on a Friday night for the first time in Wisconsin. So, spring, this is spring game. This is spring season. I think hopefully sometime, I know in the past, I've been able to get uh, a few coaches on to talk about uh, some of their, what's happening with them in spring game. And hopefully uh, here this year we can uh, we can try to get some folks on to – to have conversations there, uh, man, and I had a, uh, I had an incredible night um, last night. Uh, 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 that was uh, uh, unbelievable. It was my first MMA fight, um, which I could not believe, man. And um, it, it was uh, it, it was incredible. Um, uh, it was a local. It was here in uh, Wisconsin. Um, uh, thanks, shout out to uh, Dr. Rodriguez on uh, Cardinwell Health, um, who is actually the state uh, doctor for boxing and MMA. So it invited me to kind of see it. I've been very interested in um, uh, in it as an activity, kind of see what's going on. Uh, it was great live, man. Great opportunity, great experience. And so, um, you know, I was I was truly uh, truly excited about it. So um, I'll talk a little bit about that later in the show. Um, but uh, try to get uh, a little bit of stories that were there, but um, great experience. I'm looking to um, hopefully get him on to talk a little bit about his work, um, uh, his work there and what he's been doing um, in terms of boxing. Uh, but, you know, I want to, I want to kind of throw it to you. So I'm going to set the tone here and then, and then uh, kind of give you uh, opportunity to, 
talk about it. You know, in addition, it's, it's Masters weekend, right? Um, uh, I haven't had a chance to see where we are in the leaderboard and some of those things, but um, I didn't want to talk as much about what was happening with the Masters, but um, you know, in this opening mic segment, I, I want to talk a little bit about, um, so I was the lead up to the Masters this year, uh, was it Dustin Johnson, Paul's down the stairs, last year's winner. He can't play. He's a scratch. <laughs> That's how it starts. But then I have never, I don't know if you had a chance to, I've never watched, uh, I've always heard about it, but I've never watched the opening um, kind of ceremonies. And, you know, Arnold Palmer was always the person that kind of set it off in Arnold's Army, and then they would do kind of the, the, the first team. Um, but this year, obviously, with his passing, he wasn't there. His widow was there. Um, and then you had uh, uh, Gary Player and, and Jack Nicholas, Nicholas um, yeah, Jack Nicholas um, doing the team off. So, I mean, you had two other legends there, but a, a great money, a moment, you know, early in the morning, right after dawn kind of thing. Um, and, you know, even before Tiger, the Masters were like always the one golfing event that kind of brought in a casual audience. Um, but I was just thinking about it. I mean, I, I hadn't even thought about it until it came up that week. I was kind of – and it kind of actually gets – you know, has the Masters kind of lost – and I'm not talking about golf. People always talk about golf and casual audience. But out of every event, the Masters always had that casual fan pay attention. Has, has the Masters, because of all this stuff, kind of lost its kind of casual audience? Or, I mean, how do you feel about – where do you put the Masters in your kind of experience? Well, listen, the the Masters, to to me, the Masters is that one event that, okay, if you are the casual fan that you know about, I mean, it is is the crown jewel, if you you will, to golf, all right? It's it's the uh, premier event. It starts in the spring, every spring in April. And, And you know about the Masters if you're a sports fan, okay? You know that all the names that that's in golf at the time are going to be at the Masters, okay? So it's that one event that, uh, like I said, the, the casual sports fan, your your nine to fiver, uh, knows about the Masters, and and like you, the, the names you mentioned the of, of the past, the Arnold Palmer, the Jack Nicholas, you know, uh, those those names of the Gary Players. You knew all those guys, the Phil Mickelsons, the Tiger Woods. You knew those guys were going to be at the Masters. So, uh, if you were anybody in golf, if you were in the, if you were on the top of your game, you were going to be playing at the Masters. Now, as as the Masters go, there was a lot that we found out about the Masters once Tiger Woods started to make his rise in 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 the golf world. We found out a lot about the Masters that was really quiet. Okay, as far as how they got membership and that sort of thing. So I think that to your question, has it lost anything? No, I think it kind of gone back to where it used to be. All right, and 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 I don't want to jump ahead of what we got going on here, but Tiger Woods really did bring a lot more attention to the entire golf scene when he was just playing out of his mind to the point where you just had more people watching and watching and watching. And, you know, so now we're back to you've got a bunch of guys that's good, that's great in 2017 that's doing their thing, but you don't have that standout anymore. So now you're able to take the death of Arnold Palmer to to bring forward with this amazing tribute and have all of these names from, from, from golf's yesteryear 
to come to try to now try to raise it back up to where it used to be, you know, uh, when Tiger Woods was, was really running the show. But, again, for the casual golf fan, for the casual, casual sports fan, should I say, it is a rite of passage of the spring, just like uh, the spring game and just like baseball starting. It all it all goes together. It really does. But, again, as far as now sitting down and starting to really have that intrigue of what was going on in the, in the, in the Masters, I don't know. I, I, I don't sense that anymore. And I, and I think you started to see that decline simply because Tiger Woods was no longer there. Yeah, and I think, you know, one of the things that, you know, it, you know, I said a little bit at the beginning, but I want to get in here a little bit is, you know, obviously Tiger has been tanked. He's not here. Um, and um, you and I have touched a little bit on this, um, you know, but they, you know, you have George Speak, you have, um, you know, a number of players who are these rising stars who, you know, some of them have some charisma and, um, you know, you know, Dustin kind of, you know, before winning this, you know, people were questioning his focus. I think at times, I think he was one of those guys they identified was out there somewhat pulling his tiger, kind of had a lot of fun um, enjoying this moment. Um, two questions. Uh, we talked about this before and it was like, you know, whether or not, you know, Tiger can, um, you know, it's not about Tiger making a run, but Tiger um, getting back into being competitive, but then in some matches like these, actually having a chance to win. Um, mm-hmm. Is that, is, is he, is he, is he tamed to a point where you think he's just not going to come back? And then having that, how does golf, how does golf capture uh, some of this because it seems like they have some young charismatic people that they just, you know, because they're waiting for Tiger, they have, it doesn't feel like they promoted them in a way that they could have captured some of the things that they're doing. So, how, I mean, how do you feel about where Tiger is and his ability? I mean, when I when I watch him talk, um, it, it's kind of like um, it's kind of like you remember, you know, after after uh, Tyson lost to um, uh, it was. Maybe Holyfield, you know, because even after Douglas, he still had that ferocity. It wasn't that he really lost, but he he knew that he had done everything he did to do over Japan. He knew he was hanging out, doing some crazy stuff, you know. But then he had to fight Lennox, he had to fight Holyfield, right? And they destroyed him. And there was a, in some ways, it was a relief. It was almost like he was speaking like it was a relief, like he was just able to be him. Like the Tyson today is probably the Tyson he always wanted to be, right? You know, like we always wanted him to be the other Tyson, but when you hear Tyson speak today, he's the Tyson I think he always wanted to be. And, you know, you know, it's not about the resources. It's not about anything. It's just about living. And it, it seemed like when I, I hear Tiger speak in, in more recent times, it's almost um, a relief that he doesn't always have to be perfect, that he can just live and have a balance and, and, do you think that could muster up the being relaxed like that could muster up a, a run for him in a way that people might not expect that, that he just is not putting the pressure on him. He just playing. Well, here's the he, thing. He okay, here, here, here's the big thing that we're, that we're missing here. Okay. You know, when we talk about Tyson, what you know about Tyson is for him, it was more of a mental thing. And like you said, he could be who he wanted to be you know, um, after it's all said and done. When you're looking at Tiger Woods, you can't, it's not lost on anyone, not just what was going on off of the course, 
Tiger Woods has had now a string of injuries, okay? And 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 for some reason, before he started, before he got started getting hurt, he just was not playing at the same level. Now you want that he played at when he was just dominating the field, basically lapping the field. Now you can also, you know, attribute that to the death of his dad, you know, who was, you know, not just his biggest fan, but his but his coach. And his life coach, if you ask me, because it seems like once his dad passed away, he lost his damn mind. But I digress. But but the reason why I think it's over for Tiger Woods is because, again, the rash of injuries, I think that he's trying to find himself compensating uh, for that. I, I also believe that, you know, just watching him, that mentally, I mean, he, he's not in that same place mentally. Okay, and 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 I think that because he don't feel he doesn't feel like himself, that he can do the things he can do, and he's really struggled with adjusting to that. And I think that with with golf being as much of a mental game as it is, that it's just you. You don't have any teammates to rely upon to lift you up. It's really you. And if you're having a bad day, that can spiral out of that can spiral out of bounds quickly. And and I think that's what's happening with him. I personally think that he's done. I think he'll be a good golfer, but I think the days of the great dominating uh, Tiger Woods is pretty much over now. That being said, you never say never. He might find a niche, but from what you've seen, and we know how we know what this is like with with athletes, especially professional athletes. It, when it goes, it goes quickly, and I don't think golf is no different. And I just believe that while what he brought to the game, uh, and, and let's not let's not uh, ignore the elephant in the room. All right. He was a, a a man of color with a regular name, Tiger Woods, that was out here dominating a predominantly white sport, and he was dominating the sport, okay? And you had people coming to see what he was doing, and he was killing folks. And it was entertaining to see. Even if you didn't play golf, you were watching Tiger Woods because he brought something to the, to the game that was somewhat stiff, if you will, unless you was out here playing on the weekend with your boys. But he brought that to Augusta. He brought that to the British Open. He brought that to the PGA Championships. He brought that, okay, that 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 emotion, that raw emotion, that I'm pissed off because I'm I hit a bad shot. He brought that weekend, you know, with your boys playing golf. He brought that to to uh, mainstream golf, and he was killing the folks. You know, he was killing folks with that. He was the fist pump and everything. He brought regular sports to golf. And now everybody's trying to do it, but they're not Tiger. Okay, they don't have that same luster. They don't have that same allure. And, you know, it's unfortunate that uh, Tiger Woods lost it so quickly. You know, and it's unfortunate that he didn't really, I don't think he really embraced what he was when he was there. You know, because he turned a lot of people off with that. But, uh, yeah, he's tamed. He's tamed. Now golf is trying to find the next Tiger Woods or that next charismatic Arnold Palmer, if you will, to bring um, not just the, the golf aficionados in, but as well as the casual fan, as, as Tiger did and did so well. People love watching Tiger Woods play. Hate him or, or, or like him. You was watching golf if he was playing. And one other thing I want to say, the, the Buick Open that's here in Michigan, Okay, the gallery would sell out at the Buick Open if Tiger Woods was coming. Okay, when was the last time you heard of a gallery selling out? I mean, and these are people who don't probably don't play golf, 
but they were selling out to watch this cat play. You hear me? He was a rock star. And uh, he did a lot for golf that a lot of these great players now, and I'm not trying to devalue anybody else's game, but what, they, but what they're trying to do right now, it's, it's an afterthought. You're talking about Justin falling down? That's an afterthought to the casual fan. If that was Tiger Woods, that'd be front-page news. And do you know that? So there's a couple things. Well, well it's interesting. I don't know if this is still the leaderboard, but uh, the one person I thought could be good at could probably bring some stuff back is Sergio because everybody's been working for, waiting for him to realize his talent. He's probably he's the one person that everybody thought had as much talent as Tiger, but could never didn't have the mental game of Tiger. But it looks like he's uh, at this point that I'm looking at this board. I don't know how much stuff that he's up uh, uh, at the number one spot um, at a minus looks like a minus two. Right now, so Sergio is actually somebody who could could actually infuse uh, because uh, he has this kind of crazy personality, and I think people been waiting for a long time. They were hoping that he and Tiger would be that duel uh, down yeah. the stretch, but he, you know, Tiger always gave him that stare, and he just it seemed like he would wilt uh, under the pressure. Um, so one thing I was going to say that's similar to him and Tyson is what you just said. You know, the loss of his father, and I also think the loss of Custom Model was the beginning of the demise of Tyson. That, that right. person who has security has back in the face of a whole bunch of craziness. And when, right. it, when that goes and away, you don't know who you can life trust. Your life coach, yes. You, you know, who you can trust. He always knew that 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 Cuss would keep a riffraff off of him. But after Cuss died, you know, they circled the wagon on him. And I think in some ways, you know, with, with Tiger's father dying, things happening, being coming more isolated, you know, his defense was just becoming more isolated. Right mm-hmm. and uh, and and not you know negative things came out of of the, of the crowd he hung around with you know he hung around with Mike and a lot of these cats um, who had a lot of fun but that was one group he could hang around who knew exactly how he was feeling and, and mm-hmm. he could isolate himself from them and so and I think this is where the difference I think between him and Tyson is that um, Tyson didn't care as much about the image around that. If Tyson would have had an opportunity like that, he probably could have put himself in that position to be around folks like that uh, versus Tiger kind of his image and image people pushed him away from the places where he could get with people who actually could relate to what he was going through. So he was isolated. And mm-hmm. I think because he's bottomed out a little bit, um, um, people have lower expectations of what he can produce. I think it puts him in a position to be able to get it. And I'm not talking about, you know, more than a run. I mean, he went on a historic run. But I'm talking about, I mean, you think about what Watson's done what, well into his 60s, 70s, at, you know, at the, you know uh, especially over there uh, at, the, uh, um, uh, at the Open Championship. You know, so you, you've had legends who have made their mark, and, and, and he certainly has the skills. You know, he just has to get away from the power game. I mean, he can still hit it long. He doesn't have to hit it as long as he needs to hit it. And he could work on other parts of his game and work his way around the course. And so, you know, that's interesting. But when you see someone like Sergio um, uh, back here on the, on, on the board uh, doing it, you got Justin Rose, um, you got Ricky Fowler. But, if, you know, if someone like Sergio can win the green jacket, I think he's someone that can, uh, you know, with the right mix could actually, um, you know, push some of these young guys. And, you know, if he gets some confidence, he could he actually could create some energy uh, in it because he has a lot of emotion. Um, he's he's marketable um, in terms of uh, just personality. Um, I think he got crossover appeal. Uh, but you're right. I think 
you know, golf has got to do much more of the, the marketing part of it. Uh, but we'll see. You know, I, like you said, you said it right. You had a brother come on here. You know, I, all, as many brothers who started putting on golf shoes and crazy col- uh, colored pants for the Tiger. I mean, I saw these cats. Cats used to look like they used to be gangsters two or three years ago. Now they're now they wearing hats and, 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 and fluorescent pants and just talking about they're going to the golf course. Right. Now, let me, add, let, me add, let me add this, too. Um, Tiger Woods and his endorsement with Nike. Okay, mm-hmm. I mean, when he did that and he got that big endorsement with Nike, all of a sudden, this is what you're talking about. All of a sudden now, he's making money for them. Now, you really didn't see that too much with, with mainstream golfers, okay? Oh, they may have had the, the, the Sears catalog or the, the Arnold Palmer collection or the Jack Nicholas collection, but you just had those folks, those corporate people, you know, in there. But here's Tiger Woods. Now, when he got his endorsement with Nike the way he did, again, now you've got the fan that plays hoop or watches hoop or baseball or football buying golf gear, buying golf gear. And I want to also say this, too, that that, that, that Tiger wasn't the only golfer, all right, that had a personality or that sort of thing. You know, you can go back to to, to Fuzzy Zeller when he played or or Corey Pace. T.C. Rodriguez. Chichi Rodriguez, you know, uh that these guys that, that, that did these different things that uh uh that that the people could see what's going on. Okay, see that they were out there clowning on the golf course. But it just did not take like this brother coming out here clowning. And I'm let's face it. Go back to when Tiger Woods was just acting a fool, man. I mean you had people that don't watch golf say, yeah, he's playing today, I gotta sit down and watch a couple of holes. I mean that. I mean that's the kind of that's what he did to the sport, and and the sport is trying its hardest. And you and you're naming names, but I promise you, unless you play golf, unless you play golf, any of our listeners out there wouldn't know who these guys are. They don't have that same cachet, okay? And and this is what golf is trying to get back. Tiger Woods put golf on the map for the casual sports fan to want to sit down and watch a match because he was playing. You had folks like me. I don't play golf, okay? But you had folks like me saying, oh, he hit the British Open. Uh, what hole are in? You know, uh, uh, what hole are they on? Uh, um, you know, how yeah. many strokes up is he? You know, this, this is what – you had folks waiting to – trying to wait get get to Sunday to see what Tiger was doing. It, oh, it's, it, you know, it, it, uh, it's overtime, you know what it's called. They, you know, they, they got to play an extra hole. People watching that. You would have people sitting around at work talking about some. Did you see that last hole? You see that final hole? That's crazy. That's the kind. Of, it, what he did transcended the sport while he was here. It's a shame, but we won't see that for a while. Yeah, you hitting it all on it. Uh, you hitting all the key points. And uh, you know, as I thought about it, I mean, and, and part of that was, you know, he put somewhat put Augusta on my bucket list, even with all the other historical things that you and I have you, you touched on. Um, in terms of, um, this, you know, the uh, membership issues with raise. I mean, and those things can only be dealt with because you had a Tiger Woods there. It allowed for mm-hmm. the platform for folks to address the issues around women and others who didn't have access to Augusta. Um, it really pushed, uh, uh, you know, the, the limits and, and, and really brought that kind of stuff to light because this is the places uh, I was on a, on a panel uh, uh, this past week, um, uh, we did a screening of uh, the movie uh, 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 
uh, business of amateurs uh, done by uh, Bob DeMars. And Bob is a former USC player um, and, and made this great documentary. It's powerful about the world uh, of, of sports. And uh, I got a message from Bob, and so we're going to get him on the show here, uh, one of our podcasts here in the near future, to do a follow-up conversation about that. But one of the things we talked about that is this whole idea of, of social capital and the role social capital plays in uh, helping people advance themselves in society. And, and nothing was more evident about the power of social capital than Augusta. It's the place where, you know, very few people have access to because that's where elite people, that's where business gets done. That's where resources get passed. That's where stuff gets exchanged. That's where agreements get done in those spaces, you know, um, and that privilege that comes with being in those spaces. There's a reason why people want to keep you out. There's a reason why it was basically a, a, a white male-dominated space because that's where power and control was maintained in those spaces, not in office buildings. And so, you know, for most for most Americans, most societies who probably didn't know much about uh, Augusta or the, the club side of it, other than the golf side of it, came to it. It can only come to life with someone. Um, as powerful as Tiger being in that space and with all the identity that he presented. So I think you're right. That's uh, important. But it also made it one of those places where you want to have it on your bucket list. Like you have your sports bucket list. And, um, you know, I, I guess as I think back of it, you know, is, is it something that's on my sport bucket list? I think it's something I definitely want to go and see, um, be in the right space. Definitely want to return. I know um, I think the U.S. Open is going to be up here in Wisconsin this year. Um, something I've been thinking about going to check out, at least being in a big event. Um, definitely want to. I thought about being able to go to the Open. Um, you know, that British Open would be good uh, place to go from a golf side. So I'm trying to figure those things out. Um, I got other things that I would say. Uh, I've had a chance to go to other large events, but um, that would be on my sports bucket list. But would this be something on your sports bucket list? If not, what's on your sports bucket list? Well, I'm going to tell you. Um, I, I I can't say that going to a golf course would be on my bucket list, and that's not to knock golf courses. You know, I, I think the British Open golf course was a Roland Garros, if I might be wrong there, um, but that golf course uh, uh, is one because of those sand traps I would like to see because those sand traps are literally traps. They got walls in them. And so uh, that that's one that I would like that, that I would like to see as far as golf courses. Uh on my bucket list, I, you know, you know me. You know what's number one, first and foremost, on my bucket list. I want to see my boys in the Rose Bowl. You know, <laughs> so so you know, that's 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 a must see for me. Uh, you know, and, and and to really make it better would be they playing in the Rose Bowl and it's the site of the national championship game. But um, but but truly, I think that. When you talk about what's on the bucket list, it's got to be, to me, it's it, it, it's venues or sites that it's not it's not long for this world, or you want to get an opportunity to see it while you can. You know, Wimbledon would be on my bucket list. I would love to go to Wimbledon and see Wembley Stadium, you know, and, and see and see a match there. Uh, the British Open, as far as uh, golf, would be a venue that I would like to to to, to see versus Augusta. Only again. Because there's some nuances about that that you see on TV. It's like I just wonder what that really looks like in person, you know. Uh, but see, I call myself the I call myself the nine to fiver a beer after work sports fan, 
So, you know, for me to be able to see a, a Super Bowl or to be able to – World Series, not so much, but to see a Super Bowl with your with your home team, which truly would be a bucket list for, for us all here in, in the state of Michigan, uh, is, is, is got to be a must-see. Well, so in your role in Garros, would have taken you to France, but you would have been at the French Open. But, but French uh, Open. I, I hey, <laughs> thank you. I told you, you know, I thought wee-wee. I was wrong, but that's what rolled in my head. So you were like, wee wee, you were wee wee. Well, hopefully with our what's that? What's that, what's that golf? Okay, now let's let's just look it up. Where is that golf course where they where they have the British Open at? Uh, they have it at what Royal Troon is uh, one that they have. Uh, they've had it at um, uh, what's the other one that they've had it? They they had uh, there's a couple good ones. I'm trying to look up a couple here. Right I'm t- okay, the the one the Royal, British Open. Uh, okay, open the, 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 the course Burks, I'm talking Burks, about. Again, that might be the one. The one this one I got. Now, now just help me out with it, okay? Somebody, if they know, help us out with this one, okay? And 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 and, and please forgive me on my Roland Garris take, okay? Like I said, it was, it was the first thing that rolled in my head. But I'm, I'm talking about the golf course where they got the very deep sand traps, very deep. I mean, the sand traps have got walls in it. Okay, you get in that so sand trap, Andrew, you're gonna, you need a ladder to get Andrew. out of it. Y'all know the so one I'm talking about. I think St. Andrews. I think it is St. Andrews. But that one I want to see just because I'm like, who designs a golf course like that? St. <laughs> yeah, Andrews I mean, Can you imagine? Can you imagine some brothers on the weekend say we're gonna go play golf and you got you got walls in the sad trap and and, and somebody go through some post traumatic stress disorder from Vietnam, they think it ain't a foxhole. That ain't cool. <laughs> I can see I mean, I mean, that, 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 that's that's to stress. That's not relieving stress. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm ready for all that. I have to get my I have to pick my game up before I before I before Boy. I do that, man. I, I, I bet you. That. I bet you. I take that ball and throw it overhand up back in the green. <laughs> <laughs> All right, y'all. When we come back here, we're gonna move in uh, to the cipher and uh, hit into a, a deep topic. Uh, you know, we might have to give Penny some help. <laughs> The black hand side. Some of you may have heard of 
what happened with his son, um, a five-star basketball player. Um, and this is the idea of how difficult it can be sometimes to be a child of a particular a legendary sports athlete. Um, Tony Romo, heading towards retirement, heading to CBS. He said he want to take over uh, a quarterback position at, uh, you know, for Denver or Houston, but he surely will kick Phil Sims out top spot. <laughs> and Phil Sims like, I shall return. <laughs> I shall That's funny. Return. So we don't know what Phil's going to do. Uh, but uh, Tony Romo statistically is the best Cowboy quarterback ever. Um, you know, there'll be a lot of debate about him. He's just had this crazy type of career, you know, one or two crazy plays in some ways. Um, uh, the best thing I ever heard, like the one play uh, when he uh, uh, kind of muffed the snap, the field goal that could have won it in Seattle. You know, the, the great thing someone said is like, first of all, He's their quarterback. Why is he out there holding the holding the ball anyway? What happened to the punter doing it? What else are they doing? I said, why would you even have him in that position at that point when he's your most important asset uh, anyway? But so that becomes uh, a major uh, thing for him early in his uh, young career, and so just kind of this guy that can't win it, even though he hasn't always had the talent around. Him. You know, in some ways he got to carry up. He had to be the gunslinger, um, uh, and. Uh, you know, to a person, people who talk to him, it's always just been an incredible guy. Um, had a chance to read some stuff on him. I mean, you, you got Jason Witten writing an open letter to him. Um, the, the way he talked about his relationship with Dak Prescott and one of the reasons why he could handle this year and the praises he gave Dak Prescott in terms of who he is as a person and how he handled it in the way in which, um, um, you know, uh, he uh, related to Tony, and Tony related to him, and all the glory things he said. But it, it says a lot about who Romo is. And, um, I was surprised that he wasn't going to go and give it one more run, um, you know, but he decided to retire. So I think the, the thing I was trying to figure out is, you know, where does he rank, you know, in terms of all-time Cowboys, you know. Um, you know, you, you got Roger Staubach, you got, you got Aikman, um, you got what uh, Morton, you got uh, – uh, 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 Danny, uh, Danny White. You got uh, you can go you can go down the line of quarterbacks that they have. You know where where do you put? Um, and really, I think it probably comes down to three: Aikman, uh, you know, uh, Roger Staubach, and Tony are probably the three that we're fighting to rank in that top three. Um, Hank, what, what, what's your reflection? I mean, where do you put him? You know, is he a Hall of Famer? Where do you? Well, the other two are obviously Hall of Famer. Uh, but but how, how do you summarize Tony Romo's career? Well, let, let, let's look at what everything, all the attributes you've just you've just named there. Okay, let's first look at the let's look first look at the uh, Dallas Cowboys. Okay, you don't have a very long list of quarterbacks. Okay, on that list, so you have to look at the list itself. When you say that he ranks as one of the the best statistical quarterbacks, well, yeah. But that's because you had Roger Staubach, okay, who didn't throw for thousands of you know for, for thousands of yards. He had a running game, okay. You had Troy Aikman, who you know for those few seasons with with the playmaker, and they won Super Bowls. But you also had Emmitt Smith, who by the way is the leading all-time leading rusher in football. So you had two teams where you know where two quarterbacks, should I say, who did not have to throw the football had legitimate running games, and had legitimate running backs, 
okay? When you had uh, Roger Starback, you had the Robert Newhouses, you had the Calvin Hills, you had those kind of uh, running backs on the team. You had the Tony Dorsett's, okay, in the in the Danny White uh, um, era. After that, you don't. There's not a whole lot to talk about. What are you talking about? Greg Morton. You're talking about Don Meredith. You're not talking about the heyday, if you will, of the Dallas Cowboys. The one thing the Cowboys have been able to do is have their quarterbacks play for an extended period of time, but they've always been a run-first sort of team. So to say that, you know, he's statistically uh, better than those other guys, that's great, okay, but it's a different era of football. The second piece of that, outside of everything else you've mentioned, if you want to really stack up what he's doing – you could call him the uh, Matt Stafford on a better team, okay? Matt Stafford with the Detroit Lions will go down statistically as probably the best quarterback the Lions ever had. Unfortunately, they've never won a doggone thing. When they've had opportunities to make that next step, they have faltered, okay? And the same thing you're going to say with Tony Romo. What you're going to remember about Tony Romo for all of those stats and everything, and him being a great guy, is two things. Number one, he kept getting hurt. And number two, when he had his opportunity, somehow he figured out a way to blow it. Now, now is, that, uh, is, that, is that a fair narrative? Not, not, not necessarily, because you don't win and lose games all by yourself. But as you just mentioned, D, you talk about an extra point attempt or a field goal to get that moves him on into the playoffs, and he fumbles it. Now, why he's there, maybe they thought he was more sure-handed than anybody else on the, on the roster at that time, him being the quarterback. But that's what you're going to remember Tony Romo as. He goes down uh, to Dak Prescott, a rookie, okay, who takes the team to, on this incredible run, okay, rookie of the year sort of thing. How are you going to eat? That's not even an, um, that's not even something you're going to debate next year. If, if if Dak Prescott is that good, there's no room for Tony Romo. And Tony Romo knows how he feels, all right. People always say, well, I can make a couple. Tony Romo's had a couple of devastating injuries, okay? For anybody else, they would be uh, career-threatening anyway. Okay, broken ribs, you know, uh, issues with his back. He's getting bent over, broke up some everything else. He knows how he feels, all right? Now, could he go and take the money and run? Sure he could. But now if if, if uh, TV is offering him this money, and right now his his charisma, his connections, yeah, Phil Sims becomes a casualty. If you, I don't know if you ever listen to Phil Sims. Okay, he's not the most exciting guy in the world. All right, he, he he's just not. I mean, if you listen to Phil Sims, you know, I'd rather I'd rather listen to paint dry. Sometimes he's not that. It, that's not a, that's not a stretch. Okay, if you want to listen to stats, you can do. You can listen to Siri. Okay, and get the same thing you get from from Phil Sims. Okay, I'm just being honest. Listen, I'm not trying to dog the man out, but but that's not you're looking for. You're looking for somebody to keep your audience engaged. All right, you listen to Phil Sims after a game when you're ready to take a nap. All right, that's just a that's just a, that's just the case. That that voice is like listening to to your your professor make a lecture, you know, the day before spring break. I'm just that that's let's just call it like it is. There, that's not a great thing. He can return all he wants to, but go to cable. You know, we don't really give a crap of you <laughs> what happens there. But my point is, you know, you're going to always want the, the fresh and new. Bill Sims just coming out, um, sorry, Tony Romo just coming off the field. Yeah, he, he he's going to be very fresh and new. It's new to him. Okay, what's going on? It's new to him. People want to know 
what was the, the dynamic in that in that locker room with Dak Prescott? Of course they do. You're gonna jump all over that. So you know that's not that again. That's not a, that's not a great push there. So again, where does he rank in Dallas Cowboy history? It's not saying much. Okay, to be statistically uh, better than Roger Staubach and and Troy Aikman, who had better teams, um, and won won championships. But your your opportunities, um, you know, fell short. One on your on because you couldn't handle a, a, an extra point attempt. You know that to me that that rings hollow. So and part of that got to be fair with the teams he had around him, coaches he had around. But let's let's look at the records he's had, NFL records. Uh, most passing attempts through a hundred starts. Most consecutive road games with at least one touchdown pass, forty one. Highest quarterback rating in a month of December, 133.7. Highest quarterback rating in fourth quarter. Most games in a season with a uh, passer rating at at least 135. Some of the Cowboy uh, uh, records he has. He has um, uh, lowest career interception percentage that used to be held by Aiken. He had the most fourth quarter comebacks and game-winning drives, 28, previously held by Starback. Um Consecutive games with a TD, 38. Um, games with at least 300 yards passing, 9. He held his previous left record. Passing TDs, 36, held by Danny White. Um, passing yards, 4,900 yards. Um, first and only Cowboy quarterback to throw for more than 4,000 yards in the season. Um, completions, 405. I mean, uh, he twice threw five touchdown passes in a game. Uh uh, completed a team record 90% of his passes in home game against uh, the Colts. I mean, he, I mean, he, he's got another network. He's a, he's a very, he's a run, and part, and part of it is, I mean, you said a lot of great things, but part of it is he's been a victim of Jerry Jones. You know, it wasn't until recently when Jerry's son got more involved in draft where they. I think the, the, the Fredericks, uh, Fredericks, who was a played at Wisconsin center. I mean, that draft there was like they drafted center in the first round, but that you know that's when he he actually wanted to get Manziel. They basically had to tie him down, you know. But, you know, it was like you know, he, this is a cat who was doing this with not a lot of help around him, you know, and a coach who kept his job like he had pitchers on, most recently, you know, um, where people were like, wow, you know, this guy should be out the door, yet he. And so some of those injuries were a result of not getting the lineman that he got now, um, doing some of the things he could win, but he still figured out how to put up some impressive numbers. This is going to be a guy that's going to be debated for a long time for all the reasons you raised. Um, but at the same time, you look at his work, you know, fourth quarter comebacks, that's not a cat that's, uh, that's choking. You know, he's got some high-profile moments, but he also had some folks who worked you know, a lot of stuff was on his shoulders to make sure it had to happen because nobody else was making plays. Like like you said, he didn't have a dominant running game. Or when he had somebody to run the ball, they didn't really want to run the ball sometimes. It wasn't like he didn't want to run the ball. He wasn't, he didn't seem like one of those quarterbacks who, who uh, if, if you wanted to establish a running game, he wouldn't be afraid to allow that running game to be established. And so you're right, man. He's going to be debated <laughs> for a long time because, of all these things that just throw you off, and there's no set kind of smooth story to his his legacy. And on let me tell that, you this. Let me say this. Um, here, here is what you'll know about Tony Romo. Okay, 
uh, and just look at the entire history of the Dallas Cowboys, this is what you're going to get with Tony Romo. Tony Romo will be considered a Hall of Famer if Dak Prescott fails. If Dak Prescott and this and this mm-hmm. team wins a championship, you will not. Tony Romo will go the way of Danny White. What people don't understand about Danny White when he uh, took over the reins at quarterback behind Roger St- after Roger Staubach had retired, Danny White was a pretty good quarterback. Danny White. Uh, was was part of some really good Cowboys teams. Unfortunately, what Danny White and that Cowboy team will be known for is the team that started the rise of the San Francisco 49ers. It was the Danny White-led team that uh, the catch happened on. Okay, what people don't understand about in that particular game is that there was a pass that Danny White made to the receiver to the Dallas Cowboys who flat out dropped it, and that would have been a different narrative altogether. But Danny White was a very good quarterback, and the Dallas Cowboys were a perennial playoff team. But after Danny White came Troy Aikman, after a couple of bad quarterbacks, after Danny White became Troy Aikman, after Troy Aikman and that team won Super Bowls, Danny White was the forgotten man in Dallas Cowboy history. Same thing I can see happening with Tony Romo. If Dak Prescott and this group of Cowboys figure it out, win a championship, there won't be any debate about Tony Romo because Tony Romo will just be that space in Cowboy history where they didn't win a championship. Well, you know it's going to be positive. I love the way you put that. I, that is actually a really good point um, about, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know Tony Romo and his relationship, his history related to whatever uh, Prescott does. Um which is which is I think that's pretty pretty interesting kind of thing to to look at. We're about to shift gears here. This is kind of this is gonna be a mix of kind of framing the issue and then you've heard Hank enough, and so he sounds like this person who has those on others, you know. So it brings and I, sometimes I feel like I, I think I can provide some stuff, but it's something that's always intrigued me, and I, so I toss this out to him like maybe it'd, it'd be great to just kind of talk about this because uh, we kind of all watched it. Um, you know, we've had uh, in boxing, you had uh, Marvin Frazier, um, you know, son of, you know, the great Joe Frazier, um, trying to emulate his style and really just in some way, you know, went in there with Tyson. Um, you know, a lot of people said that this guy had the skills, but he had to box a different way. He couldn't box like his father to win, but he had a different set of other set of skills. And it all came barreling down. Um, and, um, uh, you know, when he went up against the great Mike Tyson, and it, it looked painful. I mean, when he, when, he, when he took that loss, it was almost like I could feel all the pain and everything come out of it. You know, uh, he just describes all he saw. He, he threw a love hook, and then he didn't see anything, um, and he was out. Um, and that was kind of like the beginning of the topple of, you know, him, his promising career, but it was that inability to kind of navigate what it meant, particularly being in the same sport of someone who is on, you know, uh, on a lot of top ten lists, right, in boxing history. And so you have, you have, you know, you have stuff like that that kind of you had, you know, Jordan's sons getting into all the kinds of stuff. And, you know, one son, I think, you know, went down to Illinois, went to Illinois and, you know, I think one uh, may have gone down to uh, Florida, University of Central Florida, and just, 
you know, them getting in issues and stuff in Vegas, but just what it means and then the famous kind of Jordan's Hall of Fame speech when he looks at them and he's basically like, I know it's hard for y'all to be y'all, but I would want to be y'all. And, you know, kind of being in his limelight under someone who just, I was just texting Phil and um, um, Marcus, we were discussing about uh, something around between Jordan and uh, and uh, LeBron and talking about some of the differences and, you know, what's LeBron better than Jordan and, and whatever. But, I, I, you know, one of the things I said that I said Jordan has a rootless competitiveness that is still here to, to today, it was, and it was prevalent in his Hall of Fame speech where he just burned everybody, all the women and children, everybody just speaks, kids and everything else, and so be there on that limelight. And so it can be a very difficult way to be that. And so most recently, the most recent person to get in this, and, and it seems almost like he wasn't, that wasn't where he was trying to be, uh, was Penny Hardaway's son. Um, and Colin Sexton, who is going to Alabama, five-star uh, athlete, was basically telling Penny Hardaway, who was coaching his son's team, that his son was trash, talking a lot of trash from what I understand. And, you know, a lot of people on YouTube, uh, this guy's got a swagger. I don't know how he's going to pay for uh, 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 down in Alabama because I don't have a feeling. I have a feeling Avery Johnson's not going to put up with that. That might be the best thing for him because Avery's not going to put up with that. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Avery hasn't Kevin to try to have a call with him, but he's going to Alabama to play for Avery Johnson and I Something like that, it will probably be dealt with at some point. I don't mind, and you know, I like people having swag, but this whole idea of, and I can sense Penny, you know, one of the toughest things is Penny came up battling. Penny came up through the ranks having to make his name. Penny came up wanting to go after people competitive. One of the reasons he got to Orlando was he, you know, because he sensed that whoever was going to be first. Um, obviously, when they uh, had the movie with uh, what he did with Shaq. And uh, he was following his Shaq song. was like, well, we need to get him. But Penny was competing at a level. And that level of grit you got to have when you're that first generation to go through is different. And then you're doing that so that your family can have a different way of life. You're setting a different set of value systems. That second generation stuff is a little bit different. You got to go into the best schools. You know, they're not really wanting for anything. But then they choose a sport that is built on this kind of you got to have that grit and that dog in you. And then people recognize, you know, who you are, and it's an opportunity for them to make a name on you because they know that you're Penny's son, and so, like, you got to have that competitive. And, like, and, and it's at that moment that someone like Penny's like, dang, I should have taken him to the park. <laughs> I should I should have taken him down to the park in Memphis every day to ball and get fired up on the knee, you know, rather than just having him uh, at the best camps. And, you know, that's the moment where you think, you think did, I, did I prepare him for what, he's about to get into, and is he going to respond in a way that I would have responded? And you can almost sense that when that stuff was happening, Penny was almost like he's going to lace up his shoes and get out there and go out this young man. We see this all the time over the years. I know you uh, you have pain. And, and and both of us have, you have a family, you have a daughter, I have a daughter, you have, you know, a son, and, you know, you, you have to you, you think about that dynamic. You like you, you want to instill some of that into them. When you see them in a competitive environment, you like you hoping your own dog come in and you thinking, did I make them soft? Right? You don't know what that is. So how does that play? And what kind of advice do you give us in that situation as a celebrity? You know, you out in the middle, you out here on the court in front of everybody. This young man is talking to your son, talking to you. How do you handle that? Listen, the, 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 here, here's the thing that we. You know, what you talked about, you know, regular people, you know, what I call nine to fivers folks that got to get up every day and go to work. 
Um, there, there, here's the problem that the extremely the superstar athlete has. Okay, you have this greatness. You talk about your Michael Jordans. You talk about your Joe Frazier's. You talk about the the, the greatest of the great. Even LeBron James, the uh, the Kobe Bryant's, the greatest of the great at their sport. Okay, they transcend the sport. They they become bigger than the sport. Okay, how did they get there? What's their story? You know, they like you said, they've either had the scrape or or claw. They've had they were given God gifted talent beyond anybody in 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 their in their craft. All right, and they've continued to work it to a level that you know we may not be able to comprehend to do things on the court, on the field, on the ice that, you know, we can't, we, we, we couldn't do in our dreams. We couldn't do in PlayStation, okay? And they're able to do it over a period of time that, that makes them Hall of Famers, that makes them the greatest of the great, all right? They have overly, overly achieved. Now, the one thing that a good mom and a good dad says, is that I want to make sure that my children have it better than me. That I want to make sure that uh, what I went through, my children never had to go through. All right, but you're the greatest of the great. So how does that how does that work? So now because you are able to, or just celebrity, you are able to take away. The one element, the one component, you know, God-gifted talent notwithstanding, you're taking away that one component that you had, and that was that edge. Michael Jordan was cut from his junior high school basketball team. That was a driving point for him, okay? And if you talk to any of these other great athletes, there was such a passion, such a drive, such a desire for them to be great at that, that nothing and nobody was going to stop that. Their kids don't have that, okay? I can put my kid as an athlete in whatever sport they want to play. They're going to get a lot of privilege because that's my son, okay, and I'm a superstar athlete, or that's my daughter, and I'm a superstar athlete, okay? But where do they find the hunger? Where do they find the drive? Where do they, where do they find the love of the game? And that's what you have to ask yourself. D, when you decided to get between the lines, your mom and dad had to go to work every day, okay? Mm-hmm. And when you got between the lines, there was a drive and a passion within you to make sure that you were the best that you wanted to be. There was a love of the game that started in the playgrounds. Same here with me in baseball. There was a love of the game to be good. Never got to greatness. But that love and that passion is still there. I'm not saying that these kids don't have it. But then, you know, there's an expectation that you're going to be great. But when but when, it, when you face that adversity, mom and dad or dad, the great one, is going to have a hard time because there's no way that you can relate to his uh, struggle. You don't have never had one. And you have a sense of entitlement now. You coming in woofing now. You might just be good based because genes alone. But why do they always struggle? We talk about Marvis Frazier. Marvis Frazier took on the style of his dad. His dad took on his own style. 
See, and that's another thing. I'm going to go and I'm going to mimic Dad, but I don't have the the fire in my belly that Dad had to because I didn't go to prison. I didn't have nothing taken from me. Okay? And these are the things that we see all the time. There's such an expectation that by genes alone, these kids are supposed to be able to excel as their parent, who is great, but never walked in those shoes because they didn't have to. And so what you have to look at is there are very there there, there are some exceptions to, uh, to the rule. You look at Ken Griffey Jr., who was a Hall of Famer in his own right, but you can see that there was a love in that kid's heart for the game. The one thing Ken Griffey Sr. did and his wife did, that they that baseball was fun. And the one thing they did was, to, for, for him, and they called him the kid, was that the game was fun. And when you watched him play, you could see the fun while he was on the field, okay? It wasn't an expectation of greatness. It was an expectation to do the best you can and enjoy what you're doing, okay? There's an expectation of greatness, I see. You look at Michael Jordan, for an example. How in the world can Michael Jordan, uh, you know, really translate to anybody his struggle to be great, okay? Or Jerry Rice. If you ever look at Jerry Rice and what Jerry Rice did every season to be the greatest wide receiver, how are you going to translate that to a kid? What's your drive? You didn't come from Mississippi, okay? You've been living in San Francisco your whole life. These are things that are lost a lot of times on why our great ones are great, and why their kids don't miss, miss the mark sometimes, why their kids are more sizzled than steak, because this is what happens. They're, they're, that, that passion that's in your belly, that fire that's in your belly, that desire to be great when it's not given to you, when you gotta, when you got to go out there and get it, okay, when you got to be able to give it when you don't feel like it, you know, I, you know, and I and I go back to some of these athletes, some of these celebrity athletes, uh, some of these celebrities' kids that that play sports. And D, you can you can relate. Um, um, a Snoop Dogg's son, you know, committing yeah. to school and quit because they don't want to work hard. Now, again, there's exceptions to every rules, but what we're talking about here, you start asking yourself these questions, okay? That drive, that desire. When these kids don't have it, then guess what? They don't have it. Yeah, I think Grady talked about Snoop because you can see the pain in Snoop's face, even like when they did a series there, followed him and his, uh, you know, uh, his family when he was playing uh, uh, for the, the the big time school out there in Vegas, and just when they did play, you you could feel it, you could feel because you know people can say whatever they want to say about Snoop, but you don't get where you get without a mad workout. He got a mad workout, and uh, and and had had to step up in his space in the zone under pressure times and perform. And it's that idea that that dog you want to see in your kids. But at the same time, you want to give them lifestyle. And what the kids understand, because you gave them that, is they got options, mm-hmm. right? The option is not always to run into that battle. The option is they, there's multiple, these kids start to realize there's multiple ways to get here. And they sometimes succumb to it and, and do it because they're trying to please somebody. But you can tell early on they probably had a passion somewhere else. And so I think you're right. I think the legends that do it well say keep the focus on whatever you do, be great. Like, you know, I don't care what you're going to do. You don't have to do what I did. But whatever you do, go after it. Right. And 
and, and allow them the flexibility to explore, find their path. So if they do choose your same path, they know what that means to go after it. But your expectation, like we have, we should have for all of our young people, no matter who you are, is that whatever you're going to do, be great at it. Be mm-hmm. excellent. If you're going to be the janitor, be the best in the world at it. Um, be, be who you're going to be, but be the best at whatever you're going to do and establish kind of that, because that's the work ethic they had to have. And you can have that same work ethic if you want to go and get you a Ph.D. or if you want to go and be a doctor, if you want to go run your own business, your own company, uh, be great. I think Dame Dash did talk a lot about this when he talked about with his kids. A lot of times he talked about the fact that he had them working in a store. He had them figuring out how to market outside his store so that they could understand what it meant to hustle. And now his son is running his own company, you know, uh, at, uh, at a very young age. But he kind of slowly taught him what that hustle was. He didn't expect him to be dang fast. What he taught him is the process for becoming what you can become. I thought that, to me, was the best example of how you approach these things. And, um, you know, and, and his expectation is, like, we don't really go work for other people. Uh, but I'm going to teach you this hustle young, same way I had to. So you're going to go out here and run these little things and see how many people you come in. I'm going to track it, you know. And so build those tests in there, and now you go do your own thing. Right, and so that work ethic and how you leverage your social capital is something that they could definitely teach their kids. But you know, and sometimes the best strategy is you you don't need to be up on somebody because they got more to lose than you do. Like that's the other thing you got <laughs> that you teach that they got more to lose than you do. That's why they're coming up on you. You don't have a you know, they don't have as much to lose on this one. So you got to also pick your pick your time when you got to go, and there's a time when you just got to go. And so those are all the things that you have to kind of work through. It's a tough position to be in when you march like that, because especially in a, in a competition, people are going to want to make their name. I'm sure when LeBron and Wade's uh, boys are playing on the same AAU team, he playing them once to make that was the game. They want to make their mark. I'm gonna hit 30 tonight, <laughs> so I can say I hit 30 against you know Wade and LeBron. That's a marketing campaign. So they know you know when you choose that competition is coming at you, it's because of your name. And so how do you deal with that? You just play. I'm dealing with my name. You don't have to deal with that. You just play. And Mm -hmm. just be a kid. You know, like you said, it really shaped those expectations more realistically and reinforced um, uh, as much as possible. But that's always difficult, man. That's how it goes. We're going to get back at it, boy. Go ahead. I was getting ready to say, and and the thing about it is, and you're still trying to, in in most cases, you're still trying to handle your own celebrity. You know, it's, you, we all know this, okay? Being a parent, while it's, it's probably it's the most rewarding job in the world, it's one of the most difficult. Because the thing about it is, is that you, you've got to get out of your own way sometimes as a parent to try to see this kid. And, and, and I can't imagine a kid looking at this, this parent that the entire world just puts on a pedestal as well as you, and now you're trying to make your own way and it's already hard enough to feel like I don't want to disappoint my parents. But my parents is one of the greatest in the world. So it kind of goes both ways. So the, the, here's the kid now. They're trying to, you know, stand up to this or, or the standard that they've set for themselves. Parents not necessarily setting for you, but they but they set because I've got to be as great or greater than dad or mom. And that's a, that's a, that's a tough balance. I mean, I don't mm-hmm. want to sound I don't want to make it sound like that I'm laying it out on 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 these superstars, okay? 
but I can but you know you and I go to work every day. And you know, we go out and we strive to do the very best we can. And not just our people all people all across America. You strive to do the very best that you can do. Okay? And you set a standard. And you've got kids and you're trying to have your kids main you know, establish that same standard of work ethic, of responsibility, of accountability. All right? And and at the same time, again, as I stated, you wanna you wanna make it the best that you can for the kids. But I you know, you you you, you you know, you you look at your dad. You look at I look at my dad, and you respect them for being hardworking men, and you respect them for their good and their bad. You know, but you I can imagine, you know, a kid that 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 really they they can't know the struggle. It's impossible. Their parents have done well, and they've taken care of their families, and now you're trying to teach your kid the opposite of that, and that's to to to, to struggle a little bit to give them a little bit of an edge. Yeah, it I I can I can imagine what they go through. You know, it's it's yeah. it's got to be tough. Yeah, I think you 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 hit it right on the head uh, on that 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 yeah that it's got to be um, uh, pretty tough for folks to be able to withstand that. Um, but um, you know, it's a reality. Um, and you know, I think LeBron has done a really good job of trying to shelter his son um, uh, who's coming up and and being noticed and keeping folks away from. Uh, doing all the things that you do to make sure he has a normal uh, experience. You know, I applaud them uh, for doing that. And uh, they learn from watching on the shoulders of watching other folks. And so hopefully as, it, as we move forward, it improves. Um, for some of these other children, celebrities, so, you know, you should have the ability to just, you know, similar like a presidency, you know, the way presidency has always been designed, you know, just because somebody's a president don't mean their kids have to, you know, and, and so people have been pretty respectful of, Children of presidents and not bringing them into life, line life, being in the news, and just it's kind of been a traditional thing. Um, and sometimes I think that's important to take that same kind of approach to uh, celebrities and their kids. Kids and sign up for this, you know. So you know, if, whatever you got to go like a celebrity, but let the kid be the kid, you know, unless they create their own stuff. But you know, uh, so I hope that 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 we'll, we'll get to that point. Um, and, 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 and get, uh, you know, uh, you know, stop seeing some of these crazy things. Although when I saw it, though, I almost felt like I wish Hardaway Son would run up on him. But there's no side you had to run up on a person. Like, right. <laughs> he, he looked like the kind of cat. He ran up on him, he might will down. I would have run up on him. I ain't gonna say that. I should. I should say that. I should promote that. Nonviolence. Nonviolence. Not I know what time it is. I know what time it is. You know, it ain't official until we open the doors and go inside the park. Right. Inside the park. The RSV family. My usual suspects with me. 
uh, for the 30 days of April. For an example, just yesterday, okay, the Washington Nationals. Now, the Washington Nationals, by a lot of uh, Major League Baseball pundits, is expected to be a playoff team. You have several uh, uh, people thinking that they could be a World Series contender and actually uh, uh, unseat the Chicago Cubs. But do you realize the Philadelphia Phillies, yes, the Philadelphia Phillies that finished last last year, that really are a team that's retooling, set a major league record for that franchise. What did they do? Well, in the first inning of that game, they scored 12 runs. 12 runs in the first inning by the Philadelphia Phillies over the vaunted uh, Nationals. Now, the Ad Nationals did start Guthrie who had been out of baseball for a year and decided to come back. The last time he pitched, he was with the Kansas City Royals. He decided to come back, and maybe he should have stayed gone because they scored 12 runs. Now, you think about this a minute. And I know it's early in the year, and people still trying to get their sales together. But why would your manager allow you to go out there and give up 11 runs before they decide to let you go, before they decide to take you out the game? You know, the poor the poor man right now is only four games into the season. He has an earned run average of 132. D, you know what that means. That means you and I need to get our bats out, okay? We need to we need to put these mics down, get our bats out. Maybe we can get us an invite to the All-Star game, but I digress. But that's what happened. That's what happened early in the year. It's this time of the year that you might walk up on a no-hitter, okay, because you get one of those cold evenings where those bats feel like concrete, and you might see something you may not see otherwise. So this is the time of the year to really start to get yourself, you know, involved in baseball. So let's take a look at what's going on this year. You know, you got some early surprises as always. You know, right now you got the Minnesota Twins leading the American League Central. Okay, why is that significant? Because you had the American League champion, the Cleveland Indians, who was expected to win that division. Um, you have them, you know. You, you, you're looking for them to come back now. They're 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 uh, second right now, five games in, but that's what you see. This is this is what gets this is what gets the season so excited. Okay, you've got other teams that I just think that um, need to make a move this year. Okay, and you've got some players out there that you start to have to ask yourself. Okay, what's next? I'm going to bring up a couple of players for you early in the year that we need to keep our eye on, and these teams we need to keep our eye on. One is Clayton Kershaw and the L.A. Dodgers. Now, see, they had all this this fluffing stuff, as I call it, when Magic Johnson bought a portion of that team. They were supposed to be in a position to start trying to win championships. Well, guess what? Okay, since Magic Johnson has uh, purchased his portion of the L.A. Dodgers, They've been a playoff team, but they haven't made it to the World Series yet. In that same time, the Chicago Cubs have broken a 108-year uh, drought and won the championship. In that same time, uh, save last year, the San Francisco Giants have won world championships. They're their they're chief rival, okay, in that division and in baseball. All right, so what's really going on? You've got one of the best pitchers in baseball in Clayton Kershaw. What's happening with that team, okay? Is it all L.A. glitz? Or what's going to happen? They're not picked to win it this year, but that's a team you want to watch. What kind of shakeups need to happen, okay, with the L.A. Dodgers? They get rid of a manager like Don Madeline and bring on a rookie manager last year in Dave Roberts. He does a fine job uh, of, uh, you know, uh, manager of the year, if you will, type of job, gets them to, to back to the playoffs. But, again, they're falling short. All right, you start, have to start asking yourself, when is that window going to start closing on the Dodgers? Another team you want to look at is the local team here, 
state of Michigan, the Detroit Tigers. Why do I mention the Detroit Tigers? Well, you've got Miguel Cabrera, okay, the last Triple Crown winner. You've got Justin Verlander, okay. You've got these players that have been staples, all right. They're getting older, all right. They've not won a world championship. You have the death of a very iconic owner here in the state of Michigan, and Mike Illich, who was not able to realize a championship while he was here as a baseball owner. What happens next with this team? You've got some players out here that other other teams want, and what's going to happen with that? Those are two very intriguing stories. And then you also have the Washington Nationals. The aforementioned Washington Nationals, as we were talking about, they had 12 runs scored on them. Let's take a look at that team this year, too. Okay, you have Bryce Harper. You have they've – spent they've opened up the book, okay, to, to, to um, – Bring Max Scherzer over there, $200 million pitcher. All right, when are they going to reap the benefits of a championship? Now, this team has gone up and down. Now they have them a veteran manager in Dusty Baker, all right, getting rid of Matt Williams, who just seemed to not be able to get it together with their best commodity in Bryce Harper. And now you have this team, they're, again, poised to win something, okay? And, and right now you have to ask yourself, if you're a national fan, what's happening with that door? One other team we want to talk about today, and that's the Boston Red Sox. Boston Red Sox have gone buck wild on the, on the payroll, okay? They're supposed to have a murderer's row to try to replace uh, David Ortiz, Big Poppy, all right? And they've got, they've, they've got some very nice young talent ahead. You've got Mookie Betts, who was an MVP candidate. They've went and got Chris Sale now from the Chicago White Sox to go along with David Price. This is supposed and Rick Porcello last year, Cy Young winner. This is supposed to be that this the year for the Red Sox. All right, this is supposed to be the year for the Red Sox. What happens? Do they continue to keep on uh, opening up the the pocketbook to bring all of these named players on here? Now, this is what Dave Dombrowski does. I know about Dave Dombrowski. He used to be the GM of the Detroit Tigers. Now he's with the Boston Red Sox, and he's doing some of the same things. He will sell off talent to bring in big big stars to try to get that instant gratification. The problem, though, is if you do not win, then your um, farm system is depleted. We have to keep an eye on that for this year, too. I know that, uh, you, like I said, you're looking for Boston to be that New England, New Murderers role, but they better win it while they got a chance. Okay, those are, those are four teams we want to keep our eye on that really have some high expectations. Well, not the Tigers maybe so much, but as far as what they're going to do with their stars. Now, other teams we want to look at early in this year to see what's really going on is the Miami Marlins. Again, I talked a little bit about the Marlins the last time, last last week, last time we talked, because they also have some young talent over there. Okay, to go along with the death, the tragic death of their young pitcher um, Jose Fernandez, you still have John Carlos standing. You got a budding superstar in Christian Yelich. We want to keep an eye on that team. There's a lot of youth on that team, but that team is up and coming. Uh, we want to see are they going to be able to overcome this year the, the the death of their young superstar and see what happens with them. That's one team you want to keep an eye on. And then another team, again, I want to mention is the Houston Astros. Houston Astros, two years ago, made the playoffs. Last year fell off a little bit. Now, one thing about the Astros is a very young, talented team. Uh, they have Jose Altuve over there, perennial all-star second baseman. This guy's got a lot of, a lot of dog in him. He's got a lot of dog in him. He looked like he, he stands about two foot eleven, but uh, and I mean that in a joking way. But I mean, but he's all dynamite. He 
He's all dynamite, and that's a very young, talented team this year. You want to keep an eye out on them. Again, you've got a very, very talented uh, American League West where you got the the best record of the league last year, which was the Texas Rangers. You also have the up-and-coming Seattle Mariners, and then you have the Houston Astros. We still the, the jury is still out, in my opinion, on the, on the Angels. Again, I, I, I just don't understand how they keep their manager, but the, the jury is out on them. Okay, and then you have the Oakland A's who seem to want to sell off everybody and start all over again every two years. So you you told them, man, to round out the division. But all that being said, we're going to have a very, very, very exciting baseball season. Again, this is the very first full week of of the year. We've already had a signing. Uh, B.J. Upton, I'm calling him B.J. Upton because he calls himself Melvin Upton now. He was released by the Braves, by the Padres, and he was picked up by the San Francisco Giants to try to bolster their outfield. Now, Melvin, as he's known right now, you were a better player when you was B, when you was BJ, okay. And so, if you ask me, maybe you should just go back to what works, go back to the basics, all right? Because you batted two thirty eight last year, you 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 demanded superstar money, dude. Okay, you, you you need to get it together. You're, you're a decent ball player. Your brother's figured it out. You need to figure it out. All right. I was hoping he would come come to Detroit personally, because they need help in the outfield. Okay, but that's that's a that's a personal opinion. But the Giants got him. Um, a Bruce Bochy, very good coaching staff. Maybe they can get him to get his head on right. And if they do, that's going to really help their outfield out quite a bit. He's got pop in his bat. But he just kind of been floundering over the last several years. So let's let's hope the best for that young man. So uh, that's going to be uh, inside the park for 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 today. A lot of baseball left to play, ladies and gentlemen. Let me just let you know that we just in the first inning and we just three pitches in, okay, to a very 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 long season. But that's what's but that's going to be all for today. So we tell you all that that's the ball game and the please. Drive home safe. Right.
got another great segment of Inside the Park. As I said, we're going to be cataloging those and uh, dropping them in their own uh, space and so we can pull them out for those folks who uh, want to consume that directly. Um, but it's been a great way of uh, kind of building that to our one mic experience and uh, great to have Hank. And, uh, you know, we're looking forward to get some uh, cameos from RJ and Mike and uh, other baseball lovers as part of this to, to, to really continue to push it out. You know, Hank and I have just been in the lab. You know, we just started cooking a little bit, um, and uh, it's a great segment. And, you know, you know, he's taking this all on his shoulders, you know, kind of like, you know, uh, old school Carl Malone, and he's just going to hit the van once every day, and uh, I'm loving it. And so I'm very happy about where that's going and, and, the, and the fact that we're able to keep baseball out front. As I've said several times, <clears throat> it's because of this work that I've kind of gotten a greater interest in baseball uh, just because of the enthusiasm that Hank and others have had about it kind of got me back into paying attention a little bit more to the game, so I appreciate it. You know, as we drop the mic, um, you know, uh, one of the things I want to make sure I recognize uh, our RSG Tourney Challenge winner, uh, Joe Darling. And we're working with Joe. We're going to have Joe, uh, uh, the winner of the RSG Tourney Challenge. If you haven't had a chance to participate in it, definitely want to do it. Um, the winner of the challenge has a chance to do a live podcast with uh, uh, with uh, folks on RSG. It might be on one mic. It might be a big show. We might do it independently. Um, and so we work with Joe to get that scheduled. Uh, look forward to it. He's excited um, and uh, wanted to, to do that and recognize that, you know, we're trying to take it to the people in the streets, trying to bring the voices here with us to the show. So, you know, next year, attorney time, if you want to get in, the way it works, though, is uh, the only way we give, we give out a prize is if, a spot is not occupied by our RSG talent. And so this year, in the home stretch, Phil T and I came and saved the day and knocked off the two or three spots. So those things hold out until next year. Um, and so only the number one spot was given out this year. So this is a different way of doing the tournament challenges or doing tournaments is that, you know, you have to prove you can outthink the RSG guys. And if we get all three spots, then we'll have a year where we don't give out any prizes. It's kind of how we do it. It's about competition. Do you have it in you? And uh, this year, obviously, Joe has it in him. And, uh, and uh, as part of that, he'll be able to do a live podcast that he'll be able to hold on to and share with friends and family. So we're looking forward to having that happen. Um, the other thing I want to really share here quickly is that um, uh, we're going to be having uh, Bob DeMeers from uh, coming up with uh, who has uh, been a uh, great Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.